Hey, good morning, church. Man, have we missed you. A little bit's happened since we've been together last, huh? Quite a bit has happened. Uh, but before we get into all of that, let's just do a couple quick uh, housekeeping things. So whether you are online, and welcome to those who are nice and comfied up in their living room watching us on their computer or on their television, it's great to have you connected with us online. Or whether you're in-house here, let's, um, let's connect by our connection cards. So if you're in-house, would you grab those connection cards in the seat in front of you and start filling them out? If you're online, grab our digital connection cards and fill those out. And obviously, if you're in-house, just uh, fold them up and put them in the giving boxes that are in the foyer. And if you're online, when you're all done, just hit the submit button. And boom, they'll be to our office probably even before the ones come through our giving boxes. So great to have you all. So here's what has happened since we have been together. Obviously, Christmas happened. New Year's happened. And we had to make some tough decisions about um, our being together in, in person. And we made a tough decision a few weeks back and decided to go all virtual for a few weeks. And it ended up being a really, really good decision. And I'm going to tell you why here in just a second. But we went all virtual for Christmas Eve and then the next couple Sundays. And this is our first Sunday back. But um, after we went all virtual, um, we found out through an office exposure are you ready for this? Are you sitting down? That I ended up being COVID positive. And along with, um, along with uh, Pastor Dallas and Pastor Reist. And Pastor Jonathan, we don't know about him because he was born in Canada. <laughs> and we don't know about those Canadians, but um, they're a whole different bird. Nothing happened. Um, just want you to know, our exposure was not from you. So none of you gave anything to us, uh, so there's no worry about that. And, and thankfully, we were never in a context where we gave anything to you. So, um, so we're grateful that we ended up making the decisions that we did. God really protected us all. We've had our times away, and now we come to you. Um, I'm immune to you, and, uh, and it's, it's good to be back and to be together so uh, that's our little COVID snapshot. Um, another thing that has happened since we've been away, sadly, is we continue to see challenges in our country. Um, this isn't something that just happened this past week. This has been something that has been building and building and building for months and for years. And there is a tremendous need and heartache that we feel in our nation can I mention a couple of things? I, I, we're not going to be able to solve it all here this morning, but I want to I say a couple of things that I've been doing personally in relationship to our nation. This is a reminder for me. Um, I, I'll be honest, I, I did get caught up in a number of things. This is a reminder for me. My trust, as the psalmist says, is not in horses or in chariots, which is the, the psalmist's reference to government. My hope and my trust is not ultimately in government. It is my trust is in the Lord my God. 
And, and, and I know that that may sound cliche-ish and whatever may be the case, it has to be reality. Um, our hope is in God. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. And you realize when people wrote these things in the Bible, it wasn't when everything was cush and phenomenal in their government life, especially in the New Testament. Things were difficult. And so our hope and our trust needs to be in God. Here's what I've done, because every time I scan through Facebook, there's a direct correlation with how fast my thumb scans, with how quickly my blood pressure goes up. And I've done less thumbing through Facebook and more thumbing through Scripture and more thinking about the promises of, of God and his care for me and the reality that he is truly in control. We've ruled out that we're in control. That's not happening. And, and the reality is that he does have something that he's doing through all of this. So I would encourage you, let's... let's um, Let's focus less on Facebook and more on his book. And then let's focus on what we can change because I don't think any of us are going to be able to march in and say, okay, uh, change this and change that. I think we'll all be good. But, you know, the things we can change may not be in the White House, but it may be in our house. It may be in his house here. Uh, it may be in our personal life here those are things we can change and i believe that that's where he would want us to start and and you know even when we come to our series right now you know before he before god made government okay even before he made church he made the home and that's where we can start and where we can start even today does this sound good we on the same page, people? Okay, all two of you with me together. Amen. Let's do this thing. Let's do it well. You know, uh, last week we were going to dedicate our dressers that we have in the foyer with the Pregnancy Care Center. That is next week. It will be in both services, so no matter which one you come to, you will see it. You will be a part of it. Do not miss the opportunity to sign those dressers. Do not miss the opportunity to bless New moms, by bringing in baby items for these um, dressers, to stuff those dressers, we are really super excited about that. I have, friends, for you two, two surprises. These are things that have never happened in the history of our church that I'm just about to tell you. So why don't you stand with me? You got to stand up for this. We're going to celebrate together. <clears throat> These are things, to my knowledge, that have never happened here in the history of East Bay Calvary Church, but they happened in the worst possible year for East Bay Calvary Church. It's crazy. I don't know what your problem is. It's just phenomenal that these things happened this year. 2020 at East Bay Calvary Church, we had the... I don't know why it happened, but we had the best giving year on record ever, ever at East Bay Calvary Church. This makes no sense. You people have a problem. We ended $42,000 above budget. That is ridiculous, folks. <laughs> and even, even better than that, 
This is what I love because this is love. This is crazy love. Our helping hand fund distributed over $41,000 to people in need this year, folks. That's love in action. That's what I love to hear. Another thing is, four dressers out there, two are already attached to women that we know, that we have connection and relationship with here as a church. I'm thrilled about that. They're not just going out to people that we don't know. They're, they're connected to people that we do know. So that's another praise. Here's another thing. Um, this is just me personally. My dad has been struggling with two years with cancer. And this year he met with his oncologist. And, and his oncologist said, Bob, no more chemo, no more radiation. I believe you're cancer-free. And that's just another... I mean, I... I know we can look at our country, and I know we can say, you know, what in the world? Is God even still at work? Can I just, I just say, he is. Amen. He is. Like, there's still things going on. God's got his stuff together. We just need to get our stuff together. That's the only thing. You can, if you're afraid of falling asleep during the service, you can remain standing. <laughs> Otherwise, the rest of you have a seat. God's got it going on. He's never left his hands off the reins. And, and I'm just thrilled um, his care for us still here. You know, a dear lady who served here for decades, Gaylene Clark, passed away this week. I'm going to tell you, her 2021 is going to be a lot better than ours um, she's with Jesus, and, and we celebrate her life this Tuesday. There's calling hours at 11 and a funeral service at noon. Um, if you'd love to participate in that, we would certainly welcome that. And then we just have a quickie, um, kind of a business meeting, a little church meeting together after this service because there's two constitutional items that we just want to clean up to make our church operate a little bit smoother it's right after this service um, at 11.45 or whenever the preacher gets done. So um, we, we invite you to be part of that. The first book of the Bible, Genesis. Turn there with me, would you? Genesis chapter 1. Genesis 1. If you have your Bible, if you have your phone or whatever it is, Genesis 1. <clears throat> Here's the story of creation. Not all things were created equal. Not all things were created equal because there's all the things that we marvel at. Just think about it. There's the stars. If you've, if you've been out at night and you look up at the sky and you see all of the stars and the, and the planets and the galaxies and we marvel and we gawk at these things and we say words like phenomenal or awesome. They're just so inspiring we look at all of that. We look at the oceans and the expanse and, and we're just mesmerized by all that God has done. And you know, when God made those things, at the end of the day, he got done and he said this declaration, it is good. And then on day six, he ended up making mankind. He made male and female and when he got done, he said, and it was very good. 
So here's the crazy thing is the valuation that God gives to you and to me, the valuation that God gives to mankind is so much greater than to the stars and the planets and the oceans and everything else. And you ask, why does God give such a higher valuation to mankind over all of these things that we think are so much greater? And the answer is because those mankind, you and I, have been created in the image of God. And Genesis 1 outlines this. Image means shadow or phantom and and it is this concept that image is not the actual person but it is a projection of the person it is a reflection of the person it is, this, it is this idea that they resemble the person. They look like they carry the qualities or the characteristics of the person. And so here in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, I want to read to you this declaration of God for the beginning of mankind. And then here's what we're getting at, the beginning of marriage. The beginning of marriage. So look at it with me, if you would, verses 26 and 27 of Genesis 1. Here's how the text works out. It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So I want to give you the first thing a little bit quicker. The second thing is where we're going to put the car in park for the finishing of our time here. The very first understanding in this passage is that God made mankind to resemble him. God made mankind to resemble him. Now, now, do remember, God is spirit, so the resemblance isn't with our hands and feet and body, but the resemblance is more of a moral resemblance. It is his character traits, and so there's this understanding that, that mankind can portray God, we can reflect God, we can show a little bit in smaller ways what God is like through us. It reminds me of a, of a, a little tale um, about a kindergarten class that I mentioned a long time ago of this uh, little kindergarten boy named Jason, and um, the teacher had all the students break up, and, and she gave them all crayons and paper, and she said, I would like you to draw a picture of your favorite thing. And so all the kids just start drawing. And, and so she's looking over their shoulders, and she walks up to little Jason. She looks over his shoulder, and she says, Jason, what are you drawing? And he says, I'm drawing a picture of God. And the teacher says, but Jason, no one has ever seen God. 
And he looked up at her and says, well, they sure will when I'm done. <laughs> well, the reality is, sure, no one has ever physically seen God. But they see a portrayal. They see a reflection of him. Through us, his image bearers. And here's how God has declared it. Man can demonstrate on a smaller scale righteousness, holiness, faithfulness, care, love, justice. Even God said, be holy as I am holy. Or forgive one another just as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Or by this all men will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Like These are things that you can do that people will see that you bear my image. Now just think about it. Your image bearers of God. What a crazy concept. What a privilege. What a responsibility. Image bears. It's our purpose. It's our why for existence. It's big. It's, it's amazing for a calling. God made mankind to resemble him. But here's where I want to anchor this thing for the rest of our discussion this morning. Not only did God make mankind to resemble him, God made marriage to resemble him. God made marriage to resemble him. Now here's this unique interplay right off the bat in Genesis. God reveals something unique about himself that is a dynamic clue into his essence. Now, this clue is in verses 26 and 27 of Genesis 1, and it's seen when God deliberates. Now, I want to show you another passage when God deliberates. It's, it's in Genesis 11, and it was when... Um, <clears throat> Uh, when there was a, a whole group of people that met and they built this tower because they wanted to be better than God. And so the Lord had this discussion and it's in Genesis 11. Look at, look at the text up here on the screen. And so it says, but the Lord came down. So here, the Lord in single form, the Lord. So there's this private viewing. God's coming down to look at the people. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the people are building. And the Lord said, so here's all this discussion of the Lord. God came down to view. God said, you know, if it's one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, and nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. So you're getting the understanding of what's going on. Here God comes down and says, you know what, if they do this, Mm, they're, they're going to be trouble. But then notice the next phrase. Then God said, come. You see what it says? 
let us. Like, what? Who's God talking to? Because he goes from the singular to the plural. Let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. And now look, it goes back to the singular. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth and they stopped building the city. So what a unique thing here. God comes down and then he says, let us do this. And then it goes back, so God did it. Who's God talking about? Well, look at Genesis 1, 26 to 27, and it amplifies this whole thing again. And we're going to see how God made marriage to resemble him. Look at verse 26. Follow it, because I'm going to need some response here. Because it says in verse 26, then God said, now God in the singular, then God said, follow it, what does it say? Let what? Let us. Then God said, let us make man in what? Our image. So here's this interplay of singular to plural. God's saying, let us make man in our image. So some people have tried to say, you know what? I think God might be talking to angels. Maybe God is saying to the angels, angels, how about we all make man in our image? But here's how you debate against that. Because if you go to verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. He didn't share it with anyone else. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So God, right away, first chapter in the Bible is tipping his hand. This is what I'm like. I'm one. However, I exist in plurality. And we know them, friends, as the Father, the and the Yeah. I'm one. I'm one in essence, but I'm plural in subsistence. But that plurality is always for one. They're never for just themselves. They're one in purpose. They're united. They're together. And so the very essence of this creation, if you're getting this, this is not only the beginning of the human race. Friends, this is the beginning, are you with me? Of the home. God made marriage to resemble what he's like. Singular, one. Plural, man and woman. But for one. Here's how Dr. John Salhammer draws the net on this passage, and he says this. He says, following this clue about the, about the divine plurality expressed in verse 26, he said, is seen in anticipation of the human plurality of the man and the woman, thus casting the human relationship between man and woman 
in the role of reflecting God's own personal relationship with himself. That's how John Salehammer mentions it. Here's how Brian Conover puts it. God wanted to make a relationship on earth that would give people a picture of his relationship in heaven. A relationship in which is distinctly plural yet unbreakable oneness. That relationship is marriage between a man and a woman. And even the way that he made man and woman reflects this because when God went to make Adam, he made Adam from what? From dust or from dirt. In fact, Adam means dirt. And then when he made woman, what did he make woman from? He made, he made woman from Adam. He didn't go to a separate clot of dirt and make, it, make another human being. But from the one existence came a subsistence out of that for plurality. Just like with God, out of the one existence came plurality of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. And so God wanted to show from singularity as plurality, this marriage is made to show what I am like. And that's why in Genesis 2.24, he says, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. And then the cherry on top in Genesis 1, God pulls him in before he turns the light off on Genesis um, one, before he turns the light off on, on day six of creation, God says, you know what, come here, come here. Adam, Eve, I want to bless you. I want to bless you. Because your relationship is like mine. It's supposed to be the most fulfilling thing ever. I want you to be fulfilled I want you to multiply. I want my favor to be upon you. I want my goodness to rest on you. I want you to be fruitful. God blessed him. So up here, I, uh, I'm not a big puzzle guy. Just for... Um, just for disclosure, I didn't even do this puzzle. I just asked my wife for one this morning. <laughs> and here it is. Uh, it's actually a Coca-Cola covered bridge puzzle. For our Spanish-speaking people, it's El Puente Cuberto. That's just on the bottom. I just like to read that because I could. I don't know Spanish. Um, <laughs> but I do know one thing about puzzles. When you do them, especially difficult puzzles like this, you know what you need in order to do it well? You need the box top, don't you? If I just gave you the thousand pieces and say, have at it, there would be a lot of aggravation over time. You say, man, I wish I had that box top so I know what this thing's supposed to look like. It'd be a lot easier to put together, wouldn't it? Well, let me tell you, <clears throat> when God made marriage, <clears throat> and this is the beauty, when God made marriage, 
he gave us a box top of what it's supposed to look like. And you know what it's supposed to look like? Him. It's supposed to look like how the Father and the Son and the Spirit interact. Now I know this is one of the most convicting messages to hear. And can I tell you, it's one of the most convicting messages to prepare. But God made marriage so that people get a picture of how plurality is to get along as one. What he's like. Now I just thought, what is, how does God get along? You know? What's life like for him? And I, we get a little picture in Genesis, like he was all there at creation, coordinating, working together. Like creation was a group project wasn't just one person's thing. And then when you jump into the Gospels, when Jesus is on earth, you, you see that Jesus all the time got a way to talk to God. Like he just had to. And then when you saw in Jesus' baptism, you see God giving public affirmation, like that's my son. The Father's saying, that's my son, and I'm pleased with him. And then you see the Spirit coming in and ascending on him like a dove, like there's this cooperative of love and affirmation and communication, and it was all there, and it's like, there's something special. And how different from the marriages of today's society, like, where there's tolerating you know, ah, I put up with them. Just go out to the shop. You know, you don't see that with God. Go to the corner of the universe. Or Holy Spirit, you're so emotional. God is a picture for what our marriages should look like. And it's him. So now the toughest question I could ever ask. What does your marriage look like? What does it look like? And I want to give you five thoughts in our concluding time to think about this. <clears throat> Number one, <clears throat> you billboard God's image with a good marriage. Think about it. When your marriage is good, <clears throat> people rubberneck, man. They're like, wow, what do you got going on over there? 
because I sure would love to have something like that, you know. We don't have anything like that. You billboard God's image with a good marriage. Man, I wish I had what you had. You have a platform for gospel witness with a good marriage. You got, you got the opportunity to tell people about Jesus with a good marriage. So you billboard God's image with a good marriage. <clears throat> and let me tell you, this is why we marry believers who love Jesus, okay? There's no way to bear the image of God in your marriage by marrying someone who's not a believer who loves Jesus. And, and the way that we style our dating relationship impacts the way that our marriage is. You, we can't have a pre-marriage debacle and expect it to be a marriage delight. We billboard God's image with a good marriage. Here's number two. Your relationship with your spouse is linked to your relationship with God. There's just no way to get around it. Like Peter says to husbands, you better treat your wife good or God doesn't listen to your prayers. Like other people may think it's awesome. Wow, did you hear his prayer? And God's like, boop, you know. Gotta treat the lady right if you want the Lord to listen. You know, we can't be super with God and subpar with spouse. And so here's things that I put out there like, <clears throat> God's not mediocre with himself. God doesn't tolerate each other. Reject mediocrity. Reject fighting. Reject tolerating. Reject I need my space. And enjoy your marriage. Enjoy your spouse. Date together. Have fun together. Elevate them even in front of others. Here's number three. <clears throat> this is one of the best things I can tell you all day. I will cash my paycheck tomorrow with a clear conscience because I'm saying this. The best gift you can give your kids is a good marriage. Amen? Amen and amen and amen. The best gift you can give your kids is a good marriage. Don't think you can love your kids and not your spouse. I have people say, you know what we need? We need marriage class around here. That's what, we need a marriage class. And here's the truth. We have about 350 marriage classes in our church. They're called our homes. And the question is, what kind of marriage classes are they? That's what needs to be built up. The best gift you can give your kids is a picture of God. 
that shows them this is how it's supposed to go. Here's number four. Don't follow society's picture of marriage. Society gives you pictures of marriage like, you know what? You should move in and try it out for a while. That's not God's picture. God's not on a trial basis. He didn't say, Trinity, let's get together for a while and see how it is. Or he didn't say, you know what? We can just love whomever we want to and figure things out over time. That's not God's design. Don't sculpt your marriage around society or around music culture or around your favorite TV show or especially not around the Hallmark Channel. Amen, husbands. Amen. This is real preaching right now, folks. Don't don't sculpt it around the porn culture of today. Don't flirt with disaster. And then here's number five, the second best thing. Thank God for grace. Oh, my. Thank God for grace. Are you with me on that? Because I've blown it. Have you blown it? We've all blown it. Thank God for grace. I told you I'm the product of a second marriage. Thank God for grace. Because the truth is we really can't pull this marriage thing off on our own anyway. You know, like we need Jesus. We need forgiveness. We need to own up for times when we're not bearing his image. We need grace. Thankfully, that's what the cross is all about. He died for our mistakes and our failures and our faults and our flaws and all the times when we've blown it. We take all of that to him and give it to him. And ask for his forgiveness. And thankfully also, what he does is the power of God in us to advance forward, to be image bearers in our relationships. Would you stand with me for a moment? I don't know if you are currently married, hope to be married. Used to be married. Wherever you are in this, we bear the image of God. Bear it well. And if you've failed, there's grace. Be open with God and with others. And if you're still going through it, work at it. It's the best way to show the image of God to those around. Can I pray over you? Would you close your eyes? Father, in the name of Jesus.
You've given us the greatest responsibility, the greatest privilege. There's no one greater that we can bear his image than you. This dynamic plurality, yet one unit. And we're just a group here that says, yeah, we've all messed up. Thankful for the cross, thankful for Jesus. God, help us to start in the home to bear your image well, to be good disciple makers in our home and then even to take this outside of the home to others. Thank you for the picture by which our homes, our relationships should look like. And together we pray, amen, amen. God bless you. It's good to be together, huh?